Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Well, hello, friends. We are here for another edition of the Insurgents Podcast, where Nikki V and myself, Frankie V, are taking your questions. What you say, Nikki V? I say, yo, Frankie V. All right, folks, we are going to continue to take your questions, and I will say that the questions that have been asked in this session are controversial, explosive, formidable, complicated, uncomfortable, unconventional. So the first question is, quote, it seems that while most Christians believe that scripture lists homosexual sex as a work of the flesh, just like adultery, bestiality, incest, etc., 1 Corinthians 6, some progressive Christians have begun to interpret the Bible in such a way as to make it just as acceptable as heterosexual sex. Have you ever given your opinion on this subject? Yes, I have. I've done it once and only once, never before, never again. And if you're interested, you can find it on my other podcast, the one I started previous to this one. It's called Christ is All, the Christ is All podcast. I published an episode in 2013 called Answers to Hot Boiling Questions. And you can hear my take on it there. I have not changed my position, which is basically one that does not fall into the two dominating positions that we have in the Christian family today. Nikki V, what say you? I say you should go and listen to Frankie's 2013 podcast. I'm sure it's right on target. To me, this is a simple question. Um, the questioner quoted 1 Corinthians 6. I think I'm just going to read it. Not the whole chapter, just the, the portion that they talked about. It says, or do you, this is verse 9, sorry. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's a command. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. You know, the only thing I would point out, I mean, to, to me, that, that's pretty, pretty straightforward. But before we get too far on our high horse, because we may not be some of the more obvious ones, um, that list is not by degree. I mean, those, those things are all being viewed equally as people who are not going to inherit the kingdom. That includes thieves and the covetous, revilers, mm. swindlers, drunkards. So it's not, it's, don't be too hasty to get up on your high horse because you may not be practicing one of those mm. items on the list. There are some others on there that um, could include very large numbers of people. So 
I just think we just always when we're dealing with issue like this, we need to tread carefully and we need to tread humbly and we need to make sure we're not treading self-righteously mm. and know that we're all weak people. <clears throat> Hanging by a cobweb of mm -hmm. grace and none of us have the ability in ourselves to obey the gospel of the kingdom, wherever you fall out on that particular question. But that whole list that you read, you know, my response to that is mercy, mercy, mercy. Yeah, I mean, that that ought to make all of us deeply concerned when we read personally concerned for ourselves. Like, when I read that list, I got to start worrying about myself, not about somebody else out there yeah. who's doing something. Yeah. I think that the scripture makes a distinction between walking in sin and stumbling into sin. Mm -hmm. As believers, we stumble into sin. And we hate it and we want to be set loose from it and we want to be free and we you know and walking in it is when we take it home and make it our pet mm. and we start rearranging our theology to accommodate behavior and the bible talks about and paul talks about walking in sin as opposed to stumbling in sin and i i think you know those are two different entirely different states and conditions of the heart and the mind yeah need to be aware of that as well that's a big distinction it's an excellent one and it goes way beyond the specific question that was asked yes this involves every single issue right. that, that scripture addresses no matter how you interpret the bible and but anyway if you're interested to, to hear my thoughts on it uh go over and listen to the christ is all podcast that particular episode okay let's do the next one why did god send his son to earth and how does it relate to the gospel of the kingdom? And off air, <laughs> Nicholas and I discussed, well, we made this observation that in order to properly answer that, it would probably take 10 volumes of epic works to write the preface of it, and each of those volumes would be a 1,000 pages at least. It would be titled Mr. Frankie's Opus. <laughs> oh, man, put the syrup That's away. Awesome. I'm about to die of a diabetic coma. No, I think that this question is as large as the universe, and I think it would be good just to riff on it a little bit in terms of how it relates to the gospel of the kingdom. Because typically, when we think about why Jesus came to earth, at least in evangelical circles, it's not presented in the form of him coming to launch a new civilization on the planet, which the kingdom of God is. So, I want to do two things to kick this off, and love to hear your comments, Nikki, because we have not discussed this particular question outside of making the observation that it requires so much to answer fully. John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. So, here's a text that we have that says he came to save the world. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. So there again, he came to save. Mark 10:45 for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve. All right, so he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 John 4:9 This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That we might live through him. 1 John 3:8 for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. 
1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Luke 4.19, the Spirit of the Lord has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which points to deliverance. And this one here, which I think, in light of the kingdom of God, Nick, it's the key text that ties all of it together. Let's hear it. Luke 4.43. But he, Jesus, said, I must proclaim the good news, or the gospel, of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. Luke 4.43. He was sent to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. He was sent to establish a new civilization on the earth. And in that kingdom, you have the salvation of sinners. In that kingdom, you have those who would live by his life, those who would live through him. In that kingdom, you have the destruction of the works of the devil. In that kingdom, you have the setting of the prisoner free, the giving of sight to the blind, the setting the oppressed free, the proclaiming of the Lord's deliverance. He came to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth and it embraces all those other things what say you yeah it's um it's it can't be reduced to just one thing and that's really good news i mean any one of those things would be great mm. but the kingdom of god is overflowing the gospel of the kingdom is is excessive in its positivity and its goodness and its inexhaustibility there's just one thing after another it's like reaching into a bag and pulling something out and you're blown away and excited and then somebody says wait there's a bunch of more stuff in there and you <laughs> keep on going and you just listed a bunch of things that fall under the umbrella of the gospel of the kingdom and all of those things redemption forgiveness freedom deliverance they're part of that kingdom of God that Jesus came to break into the earth in the present order to bring the future into the now and that kingdom is available to us to live in and to participate in amidst the fallen world that surrounds us and I like the fact that I see a parallel to all these passages in in Paul in Acts 20 where he says in effect the latter part of Acts 20, and if you wanted to read it yourself, you just start with verse 17 and you go on to verse 27. But he said that he came to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. It says he came to declare the whole purpose of God. And it says he came preaching the kingdom. Hmm. And so here you have the whole purpose of God, the eternal purpose. That was Paul's message. You have the gospel of grace. That was Paul's message. And you have the gospel of the kingdom. That was Paul's message. All of those things are part of that same glorious message that Jesus Christ bore himself. So that would be the way I would answer it in summary form. And I put all of it under the heading of the gospel of the kingdom and bringing that alternative civilization to the planet. That's why he was sent. Multi-pronged, multi-faceted in his mission. And I think sometimes as you were reading through that list and those passages, sometimes we get uh, a bit enraptured with one aspect of the kingdom and we kind of latch on to it. For example, to seek and save that which was lost. Bingo. 
And once we, it's not that we're wrong, but if we isolate onto one aspect of the gospel of the kingdom and leave out all those others, there's a whole lot missing. Yeah. And some distortion can come in and mm. some inappropriate emphasis can come in because we're mm. kind of uh, latching on to, to one aspect of the gospel of the kingdom rather than kind of you know moving in and among all those different aspects and as as seasons change and you know as we see things from the lord then we move into those things and i totally agree and one of the the most important insights that i came to and i pointed this out in the beginning of insurgence is that the eternal purpose of god which has been a central message of my own work for many years is just another way of saying the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom message, the message of the eternal purpose and the kingdom message, which again, we see in Acts 20, clearly brought together. It's the same message. It's just emphasizing a different aspect of it. But they are both that large. They are both that huge and all-consuming. And they are, in effect, the meta-narrative of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. You know, God has an eternal purpose. And that purpose is... To bring his kingdom from heaven to earth and it all has to do with different metaphors but a house a family a bride and a body to express the son and to contain the father and to emit the spirit god is triune and so the expansion of that community that is the godhead himself is really what he's been after from the beginning and and that's what this kingdom is all about it's another way of putting it. Yes. Would you say that the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of the kingdom are interchangeable terms? Absolutely. Yeah. As well as the gospel of grace. Yes. As well as the eternal gospel, as well as the gospel of God. There's there's a whole listing, and I have this in Insurgents, but all of them are interchangeable terms, and they just emphasize different aspects mm-hmm. you know, of the exquisite diamond. Uh, but they're all interchangeable. The gospel is the gospel. There's not two different gospels for two different people, you know. John Nelson Darby withstanding and C.I. Schofield who gave us that whole dispensational fracturing of the message of of the Bible. It's one message. And what Paul preached was the same as what Jesus preached. And what Jesus preached was the same as what Peter preached. And what Philip preached was the same as what Peter preached, and on and on. I mean, there's there's one message, but the message is so grand and it's so powerful and so glorious that it has many different aspects and many different layers and dimensions to it. Amen. There's a phrase in the book of Acts, the restoration of all things. Acts 3. Yeah, Acts 3. Would you include that phrase as something interchangeable with the gospel of the kingdom? I mean, what the list you just read to me as you're reading, I was like, well, we're witnessing in, through this list the restoration of all things. Yes, yes and, it, and it begins here with the entrance of the kingdom, the kingdom now, but then it ends up with the kingdom future, the fulfillment and the consummation of the kingdom when the fullness of the kingdom comes to earth. And that, that's what I believe the restoration of all things is pointing to. Yeah. You know, the kingdom is already, but not yet, but it's that not yet part being now, right? So what we enter into the future now, that's the beauty of the gospel and the kingdom of God is it's here now 
and we can enter into it and we can live in it, we taste of the powers of the age to come, right? But the fullness of that kingdom is still yet to come. But that's our hope. And as bad as it gets, you know, in our lives, there's one thing that we can always hang on to. And that is the hope of the life to come, the life in the kingdom, which will eventually come to earth. Because God's purpose is to recalibrate and consummate what was in the beginning in the garden, which was that overlap of God's space and man's space, the God's space and human space woven together and overlapping. And that's what you see at the end of Revelation is mm -hmm. heaven and earth now are joined together again, right? So again, the destiny is not going to heaven. The destiny is heaven coming to the planet and the fullness of all things as God intended in the beginning. There was no plan B even after the fall. <laughs> it was still plan A, which was heaven and earth overlapping with one another. That's right. And Jesus, of course, was the embodiment of that. He was the yes. walking Bethel, yes. the walking house of God, the walking Garden of Eden, where heaven and earth collided and mixed together. And that's the nature of his kingdom, too. Yes. So these grand and high thoughts are, you know, they're not just academic they're heartfelt they're exciting they mm -hmm. you know when we we see and we penetrate more they stir us because there's such reality to them and mm -hmm. truth you know and it draws out of us a hunger i want to experience that kingdom now yeah. as much as i can and as far as we're willing to go with the lord that's how far he will bring us into the experience of the kingdom in this life amen yeah just a tiny glimpse of that purpose that you were talking about. It's nuclear, it's radioactive, it's half-life will last you more than enough of your lifetime to compel you and keep you moving forward all the rest of your days, you know, not too dissimilar from Abraham. He caught a glimpse of the city of mm. God mm. and it drove him Amen. for all of his days on this planet. And the same thing happens to us when we catch a little, just a, even a fractional glimpse of the eternal purpose that God has purposed in His Son. And it will drive you batty in a good way all the rest of your days. You won't, you won't be able to move away from it, like you said. You don't outgrow the kingdom of God. You don't outgrow the eternal purpose and say, okay, what's next? Right. You know, what's the next message? That's what's it. the next topic? Yep. You know, you'll stop right there and be lost in that for all the rest of your days. Tied into the gospel of the kingdom is the challenge to respond to it with your life. Yeah. This gospel that we have been given in America, which basically came out of England, which says, you know, at the end of the day, believing in Jesus is, is no more than, you know, ticking off a theological box with the pencil and saying amen I agree to that Jesus is the son of God he died for my sins and now I'm going to go to heaven and removes the actual words of Jesus and, and Paul and Peter where they said repent and believe in the Lord Jesus which implies that it's not a mental thing that if you believe that he is Lord right there's going to be that surrender and that's what baptism was mm -hmm. you know baptism wasn't just a, a an empty ritual that you went through it was a true authentic funeral where you were dying to your way of living and 
coming under the, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. And I think the message in Matthew 26, 13, where, where Jesus talks about the act of Mary, of Bethany, how, how she poured out her most expensive commodity on the, on the head and the feet of Jesus. And when he said that wherever the gospel is preached, this story will be told. All right, now, what does that mean? It's as if he was saying, when you teach them, the people, the lost, when you preach to them what I've done for them, tell them what this woman has done for me. Hmm. I died for them. They, exemplified by this woman, have surrendered to me. So... In the message of Mary, it's not just a cute story. It's like, okay, well, the gospel, okay. I believe in Jesus, I'll go to heaven. Oh, this is a cool story about a woman. No, it's the message is, this is what I did for the world. This is what those who submit to me and believe in me do for me. They give me their life. They give me their all. They pour out the alabaster box. I think it's important that we grasp that. Else we dissect the New Testament into... Gospel of grace, simply mentally acknowledge Allah, faith, mental assent, versus Jesus demands to follow me and be my disciple. And we kind of split the two as one's optional, the one's other's optional. mandatory. Right. Yes. And that that's, I mean, that just even sends chills down my back as you're describing it that way because how many of us don't even see that dichotomy that's there? And we're kind of just merrily tripping along our Christian life being, again, coming back to a previous podcast question of being these message consumers and thinking that that's the Christian life is, you know, I just expose myself to these thoughts and these, these revelations and these things and I agree with them and then I move on and consume some more and I'm somehow living a Christian life by being that way but my actual life doesn't really ever change in its appearance no alabaster precious box is ever broken on the feet of the lord and it's gone forever all of what that box and and that mm. and the contents of that box meant to her in a very practical way for her existence on this planet was completely gone we might even get that far in apprehending it and appreciate that to some degree but the connection of and go and do likewise mm. that never happens or rarely happens or it doesn't happen mm. enough mm. Uh, I'm, and I'm speaking mm. to all of us here I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not yeah. sermonizing to you out there I'm mm. challenged by that yeah, I mean, you too. I'm convicted yeah. by that yeah. I am trying to determine where's the alabaster box in my life that needs to be broken in mm. affection yeah. at the feet of Jesus and forever from that moment on whatever that represented to me the security of it the the value of it the preciousness it's gone it's gone at the feet of the Lord that's real that's what the gospel of the kingdom is calling us to you waste your life on him waste your life on you him. know why this waste the protest of Judas and the others and you know, he in effect was saying, you wasted on me, you don't waste it. Mm -hmm. 
and this story shall be told everywhere this gospel is yeah. proclaimed. That What an honor for that sister in the Lord, mm-hmm. her story told everywhere where the gospel was yeah. preached. And I think, about to read a passage of scripture, I think this is what James meant when he penned these words, exactly what we're talking about, which is, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Mm. And prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely yeah. hearers yeah. who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his actual face in a mirror, but then he forgets what he looks like once he's gone away. And again, that, that previous questioner's question about just hearing messages and moving mm. on is really evidently a problem also all the way back to the beginnings of the gospel was you know people hearing things but their lives not being impacted in any visible way by that and it's very it's a very sobering thing when you start approaching it from that angle and by the way just that was one of the things that happened as i was reading through insurgents i mean the lord had already been dealing with me on those levels and then that book comes along and begins articulating you know, in a much more clarified way, things that were already stirring inside my own heart. Mm. And I think where the rubber meets the road is then you act on those and things are forever different. If I can use this word, it's not quite the right word. There's these fatal steps we take yeah, for the sake of the gospel of the kingdom and there's no turning back from them. And yet we jump anyway. And you see this over and over again uh, by people responding to the presence of the gospel of the kingdom himself as he's standing in front of them and they you know on some level they're catching that and many fates are decided at that moment you know the rich young ruler went away sad i don't know i was always kind of pulling for him that that later on he yeah he, he did give away everything he may, that's, he what may, that's what i'm hoping he may for. have even know, if he didn't at that moment of yeah. confrontation that the lord's that's word right. was dealing with him and that he yeah. eventually so those are those are those those Rubicon moments, Amen. That the gospel of the kingdom demands from us from time That's to time. That's great. Jesus and his kingdom operates by this thing that he talked about constantly and said was the summation of the law and the prophets, and that is love. And love is always benefiting others at the expense of ourselves. It's always treating others the way we want to be treated if we're in the same shoes, and if we made that the guideline and the watermark and the litmus test of everything we did and said then we would be exemplifying christ in in all of our words and attitudes and activities especially when it comes to other people so i think as christians by and large we can do better in the way we treat one another especially when it comes to disagreements over theology over doctrine and over politics Ooh, yeah all right folks we're kind of tired, so we're going to take a break. Of course, that break for you will be a whole week, but we're going to go have dinner, and we're going to come back, and we're going to do another episode, which you will listen to, God willing, in seven days from now, if you're listening to this when this publishes on a Tuesday. And, whoa, we're going to talk about contending for the faith. Ooh. A phrase out of Book of Jude. Sounds confrontational. And how it relates to the kingdom of God and oh yes it is so if you want to be part of the drama we'll see you next week
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.